What's up, everybody? We're doing a bonus episode brought to you by AgorasNexus.com. Premier sponsor of the show. Don't forget about Fairly Decent Golf, my dear friend Bobby, who was out and about. Uh, check out his account on Instagram, Fairly Decent Golf. Some really, like, even if you're not a golf person, he went to some really beautiful locations to play. And um, I think that's really cool. That's a cool part of golf is you actually get to go out and enjoy nature. And, you know, some of these scenic courses, you know, with mountains in the background and stuff, I think it's pretty rad. And I love Bobby. He's my friend. So check it out. Um, privileged once again to have a dear friend of ours, a friend of the show who's been here for a long time. Uh, Elliot has decided to wake up early on the West Coast, uh, the Pacific Northwest to be specific, uh, avoiding the uh, Tacoma Narrows monster that hides uh, uh, lurking in the shadows as if it was <laughs> Cthulhu's cousin, uh, ready to consume um, un unwitting individuals. But he is safe. And he's hanging out with us. And uh, we had no real agenda for today, did we? We were just going to shoot the shit, see where the conversation took us. And have uh, and have a good time. We don't have really. We didn't like. I try to keep the show between fifty minutes to an hour because it's not a fucking audio book. I'm I'm, I'm not that talented. Um, but uh, just you know, don't worry about the time, everybody. It's a bonus episode. We're glad we we're able to put this together. We had talked about this. I don't know how many times, mm -hmm. and finally we we're able to do this. So our dear friend has honored us with uh, our, his presence today to have a conversation. Elliot, you are always welcome to the show. Um, blessed to be here. Thank you for that. Now, how, first of all, because I'm a Midwesterner, I'm going to ask you the first one. How's the weather? The weather? Hmm, let's see. Well, I think it's 58 degrees outside, overcast. Um, the weather projection for today is supposed to get high of 65. So we're doing great there. You're growing out your hair. Yes, I'm trying to go for either the Aragon look or see how it goes. The problem is, my hair naturally wants to curl, so I'm oh, yeah. constantly combing it. Yeah. And my girl, she just is always making fun of me. Like, your hair's curlier than mine. I'm sorry. I can't help it. <laughs> Don't be jealous. Don't be <laughs> yeah. jealous. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, if it still grows, because you're you're over, you're 30 now, right? Yes, the big three. I think I think that you may be in, that was a huge concern of mine as I got into my upper twenties. And um I was like, shit, man, how long is this gonna last? Right? Because like I had people in high school that started losing it and then when you get into your upper 20s um and and i'm like oh man i don't because it's like one of the few things i have going for me is my hair so it was, yeah. a, it was a big concern like i would just shave the whole thing off i'm not going to be ridiculous or if you're going to commit to being ridiculous i was going to get a hair piece that was going to be purposely like not glued on properly <laughs> so that it was obnoxious like people like it, it would be an eye catcher like an afro and i would have it like cocked to the side and like in the, the wind would flip it up just to make people uncomfortable but fortunately <laughs> i haven't had to make that move but i think you might be in the safe zone my friend i think you might have uh you might have crossed the um i guess you could say the hairline rubicon where i think you might be all right um I um geez, my thirties were I, I hate to admit how long ago it was, but it's been a minute. Um, my early thirties. Uh, it's crazy how fast time goes. So, what have you been up to, man? Like the last time we had chatted, uh, you were knee deep in school, getting that education going on. What are you pursuing specifically? Uh, well, uh, just to clarify, when I say I'm in school, I'm uh, an apprentice uh, for mm -hmm. electric trade. So right now, I'm in my third quarter of my second year of a three-year program and uh, right now we are learning about electronic access controls so anything to do with cameras security uh doors all that kind of 
fancy pants, you know, science, voodoo magic. I don't understand, you know, I'm just like, I, I just plug wires together and things work. I don't know what to tell you. I hear you. I hear you. I think that it's noble uh, as a person who is probably overly educated, <laughs> spent way too much time in the classroom in 43 years. I'm always, um, I always love to hear about individuals learning and increasing their skill set. And, you know, especially for someone who is a, uh, you know, a working class guy who works with his hands and his back and his legs and to be able to add to your skill set that's just going to benefit you as, as life goes on. I mean, it just makes you more in demand as an individual because you are, I, I'm not a huge unskilled labor person. I don't really necessarily like that term. Why? Because they called warehouse people unskilled. Well, yeah, if you're not paying attention, you're not learning and you don't know how to count. Yes, you are unskilled. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it takes a lot of skill to do memorization, um, to work fast, to do math with your mind. Like if you're picking parts or if you're putting parts away or if you're um, boxing up items to be sent out to customers and like remembering what goes where. I, that's not unskilled. That is skilled. But for someone like you who is a tradesman who's increasing his skill set that's going to make you highly skilled which is only going to benefit you in the long run so i salute you keep up the good work and stay the course man don't give up it's a good thing um i always like to learn about what people are reading so right now what do you have anything you've uh, dove into are you reading anything specific um apart from schoolwork, of course um, which I know is tough. Like when I was going through school, I still found time to like read stuff that I liked, but it gets harder and harder because you have to bounce. Like I really want to dive into this book, but I have to do my stupid homework and my stupid homework is the priority. But are you able to jump into any reading at all? Like, do you have something that you're diving into right now? Or do you have a stack that awaits you when you have the time? Bit of both. Right now, I'm trying to dedicate at least 30 to 45 minutes a day to my own personal reading. Um, it's a mix between um, the Silmarillion and um, the Orthodox Study Bible. Um, my next book, oh my God. Uh, see, people have a problem with drugs or sex or gambling. I have a problem with, I'll see a book I like. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to add that to the chart. And then I'll see 10 other books I like. I'll add those to the chart, order them all at once. And I'm like, shit, I don't know where to start. So um, I literally have had to write all these names down, chop them up into little note cards, put them in a hat and have my best bud pick for me. And I'm just like, I don't care what it is. Just pick it for me. And he's like, okay, you're going to read the Silmarillion and then you're going to read blah, 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 blah. But, you know, like I said, 30 to 45 minutes a day is not enough time to get through the, um, the mind fuckery in the in all the best ways of Tolkien and his magic and so it's like right now i just got through baron and luthia and uh for one just an epic story and a fantastic you know love tale and like i got emotional several times but i mean it's a mixed bags of whatever i feel like reading nothing wrong with that and as far as getting emotional mr tolkien's work i can rarely escape anything that he writes uh, without, you know, feeling those emotions. In fact, while we're here, I'm going to get like, Christopher's not here, but you make fun of me with the used guys, uh, the warehouse, book warehouse, uh, used guys library. I have shelves all over the place. I have books and storage unit, but I got something real special here. I'm going to go ahead and lean in. You'll appreciate this. So I got this a while ago. This is the illustrated Hobbit. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And um, I... Like I can't, I can't get through this, especially at the end, uh, when Thorin is dying, 
and I just even the film which people derided and I felt it was so unfair like look at the um look at the illustration we have of Smaug in his hoard of treasure like I this this stuff out like I, I if you left me on a deserted island with just this book I would be just fine like I love this little the little illustration of Smaug on top of the uh, the lonely mountain like this is and you know this is hardbound it's it's got weight to it it just it feels like it's a good it feels like 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 Mr. Tolkien would read it himself be like oh you know what this is a nice book I'm gonna put this on my shelf um even though I wrote it uh but I I firmly appreciate that but like I said when Thorin when Thorin's dying I like I have to like think of like like fruity pebbles or something like I can't like that's that's a tough one <laughs> fruity pebbles Fru- well yeah because I like fruity pebbles it's just like when too. um when Sam and uh uh when Sam and Frodo are outside of Mount Doom after the ring has been destroyed and you know he's like you know you know to be with you at the end of all things like I watched the grown man cry in front of me at the movie theater with his two kids and I wanted to lean in and be like dude it's gonna be all right it's gonna be all right I, I've read the book <laughs> but it's a tough one it's yeah. a tough one you see the three eagles who mm-hmm. why was the third one there for fucking Smeagol like I mean you know it's like he knows he knows how to grab you and pull at your heartstrings, which makes him the master of fiction. And, you know, as much as I love Star Wars, with all my heart and soul, there is no Star Wars without Mr. Tolkien. It's, all of it is truly comes from him. He is the root. He is the uh, the mighty oak tree and the branches that come off of it, including the stupid Harry Potter shit, which I know, hey, listen, it's your cup of tea, whatever, but they cheated. They cheated. Yeah, we, we've documented this cheating, Elliot. We know that they cheated. They're just, it's like, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, can you just change it up a little bit? Not good enough. We picked up on it right away. You're a bunch of fucking cheaters, all of you. Is, mm-hmm. I mean, she's in hot water, too, isn't she? Because she's not, like, into the trans shit, right? She's, like, yeah. people hate her now. Yeah, which is surprising because my girlfriend, some of her best friends, you know, they're more, for lack of a better word, you know, modern liberals and all that ilk. But they were the biggest Harry Potter fans. And then all of a sudden, like two years ago, they're just like, you know, she's dead to me. I hate her guts. And I've tried to very delicately ask why. And it has something to do with the trans issue debate. And, you know, that's a whole can of worms that spent hours talking about, but really don't want to. But yeah, that's from what I've heard. And also I heard since Amazon got, I don't know if they got the rights to Tolkien's work, but when they made the Rings of Power, I read an article talking about the anti-Semitic um, history of Tolkien and how the orcs is a depiction of black people and this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, you know, going to flip my computer and everything. I'm like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, right. Oh. No, it's, it's insufferable. The, the orcs are just orcs. Orcs. Yeah. That's it. And you know, and I was going to ask you about this because, you know, you, you know, I, inside baseball <laughs> elliot and i talk like every day mm-hmm. usually he usually sends me something or i send him something we usually we usually in contact at least a couple times a day which is uh which is nice to have those friendships it's very sweet i'm very happy with it that's for sure and team uh, redhead for life oh yeah t- yeah <laughs> Your team like i'm a little more gray now man like it's catching up to me but it's still that i got a couple of shades of it in here i don't know man should i dye the beard should i look ridiculous and do like a full jet black beard and then like you know <laughs> fucking graying red hair i mean just for halloween right i mean you coming can, up we can we can get like that um you know temporary whatever like it washes out and it's kind of like a mascara but like for facial hair and you could just do it with the the black if you want to try it. I mean, do you want to talk about the absurd? That is the absurd. 
Um, I'll buy it and then I'll put it on you. Before you pay for that, I would need to do the super male vitality. I swore that if I had the money, <laughs> I would buy it. Not the colloidal silver. I'm a little nervous about that. I don't know what it'll turn me into. I mean, what if it turns me into like a stark raving fuck machine where I'm just like yelling at frogs for being gay and trying to hump furniture? Like it might be a problem. It, it, might, it might be a problem. Just no colloidal silver. We're going to do the. But we'll, we'll, we'll take it a step at a time. So I want to ask you this. Um, there was a friend of ours that uh, we had chatted with, and she's a huge Tolkien fan. Um, she's an anthropologist, actually. I haven't talked to her for a while. She was dating uh, a friend of the show for a while. And um, we were having a discussion about the antagonists in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Not going all the way back to what you're reading now, because those who are unfamiliar, like we're talking about more, at your point, you're you know, going to get into Morgoth. Right. You're going to you're going to run into him who makes, you know, Sauron, you know, look like a little guy. Like, I mean, Morgoth is serious business, like the devil, the devil himself. Right. Um, not just one of his lieutenants. Um, do you find any redeeming qualities in any of the antagonists in either The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings? Like, for example, you know this. I'm a witch king of Agmar guy because I like the story behind the fall of of the kings of men and i like the fact that he out of all of the lieutenants of sauron seems to maintain somewhat of his own autonomy like he still works for him but he kind of gets to like he lives on his own he kind of does what he wants he decides he's like the the field general of the forces of mordor like he's trusted to do a lot of stuff for the bad guy you know the number one so in a way, I find there's not redeeming qualities, but it's kind of like, huh, that's cool. It's not like Darth Vader where you could see yourself as Darth Vader because Darth Vader goes bad for like the road to hell is paved with the best of intentions. That phrase, that's kind of what happens to him. You could see yourself following in that. You can see the logic, right? You're like, OK, well, that could be anybody. That could be anybody. I feel the same way with the Witch King of Angmar because of the power, the temptation of the, the rings that you know the rings of power that are given to the kings of men and falling into that corruption that's where i kind of see a parallel where i can relate to him i can't relate to sauron i can't relate to orcs uh not because it's anti-semitic or they're black people it's because they're fucking orcs right they're gross they're disgusting they live in shadow and ash like it's not my thing like it's I'm more of a want to hang out with, I'm, I'm like, I'm a Gondorian, man. Like, I want to, of course, you know, Minas Tirith, that's where I want to be, right? That Those are my people, or Rohan. Those are, you know, that's, I feel, or even, well, I mean, honestly, if we're, you know, truly the Shire, right? Completely yeah. oblivious to the suffering of the, of, of the world and just going fishing and planting a garden and minding my own business, which is, you know, I mean, to live in the Shire, that, what, what a beautiful dream that is, right? What a beautiful dream, truly. And I understand why um, why Tolkien was, you know, so adamant about the way he felt like what he saw the Industrial Revolution doing to the English countryside as he went to Birmingham and saw the smokestacks pouring, you know, poisonous garbage into the atmosphere and the destruction of cottage life and rural life in his England. And of course, let's not forget the unmitigated hell that was the Great War, which he witnessed firsthand, which is definitely evident in his writing. Um, well, do you find any of the bad guys to, to have any redeeming qualities? Not that they're not cool, but where you can be like, hmm, I could kind of relate with this guy. You know what I mean? Do you yeah, feel yeah. that at all? Absolutely. Yeah, because like 
Well, the way you were describing the King of Agmar in the sense like, you know, the rings uh, were given to them because, you know, men and Tolkien wrote about this because, as we know, he's a Roman Catholic. So he's very much into theology mm-hmm. and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking at men as a whole in the sense of, you know, we're protectors, we want to provide for our kingdom, and our families and stuff. When power is offered to you so freely and like if we think of Boromir, right, you know, he only wanted the ring, you know, to protect his people. And that was his whole reason of going, you know, uh, to Rivendell to take on that quest is because he's like, our people are being attacked every day. We're losing people by the thousands. And if we could use this, you know, granted, this is the, the one ring to save people and destroy evil, then that's the risk I'm willing to take. So if I look at it from that perspective and think, okay, the Witch King of Angmar and the other nine or eight in this case, um, yeah, I can totally understand why they would want power to be given to them so freely. And, you know, it, I like to think that because, oh, I'm an anarchist and I, you know, do all these other philosophical things, I'd be above the desire for power and all that kind of stuff. But I would so easily take that, you know, because I can justify it away. So even though the Witch King of Agmar and those of his like are not good in any real sense of the word it's totally understandable why they became who they are and i think aragorn and those like him and boromir or not more fairman rather are just like top tier like that is what all men should aspire to be but becoming witch king of agmar is probably the baseline of all people if that makes any sense no it makes total, no, it makes total sense. i mean i think that's where we end up I think the majority of people end up as the Witch King of Angmar. I think a lot of people aspire to be a Boromir. Like, I, f- I would find myself to be Boromir before anybody else because remember when he's like, it's a gift. And, like, you had put it like, for those who haven't read the book but only enjoyed Peter Jackson's interpretation, which is the gold standard of any interpretation, you're not getting the full story. You don't see what Gondor has been suffering from for years because they're right there they're right i mean it's they're 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 under siege essentially from the forces of mordor so of course he's looking at this weapon saying well sealdor took it you know what i mean and if you read into his experience the movie doesn't do justice to that either because he actually suffered quite a bit as a result of the ring and he had regrets of taking it and what you realize is the ring like it i mean it uh, it has a mind of its own because it's manipulating the host. You know what I mean? It's a virus in a sense, which it gets into you. And I think those who are able to resist this temptation, we want to aspire to that. But at the end of the day, most of us are probably more in line with Boromir. And most of us end up not as the witch king of Agmar, but as orcs working for Sauron. I think that's something because we all want to picture ourselves as being the hero. And of course, in the context of, of literature, when you're looking at characters that are crafted by a master writer, someone who is literally at the peak of, of power with, with his mind and being able to write and being able to conjure up images and create landscapes and create these in-depth characters. If you put that ring in front of me and I have the chance to fix all of the things that I like, for example, the Epstein client list, um, everybody who abuses children, you give me that ring and gives me the power to go after these people and to 
enact justice as I see it, I'm going to take it. What does that mean? What does that turn me into after a while? You know what it's going to turn you into after a while. Um, if you're honest with yourself, because I think temptation is, and once again, coming from his theological perspective as a Roman Catholic, he understands in his interpretation of what temptation is and what absolute power is going to do to you when you have it at your fingertips. And I think that on the surface of it is art, it's unmatched beauty. But if you, once you start diving into the layers of it, I really feel that that's where you really have an impact on the human side of how you're interpreting this literature, because then you can look at yourself. And if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I'm not so sure I'd be able to make it through, you know, poor Sam, who is the hero of the story is the only one who gave it back, who didn't like, he, he was, he was not corruptible. He never Mm -hmm. lost faith. And that's the other thing I want to ask you about. So knowing that Mr. Tolkien is a Christian of the Roman Catholic persuasion, is there a Christian message in his work? Because I have my opinion, and I'm sure that your opinion probably matches mine. But for me, it's hope because you're never going to give up on it, right? Like, even when it's the darkest portion of the night, you just hang in there. You know, you hang in there no matter how awful it gets. Do you get that impression from? Do you find all of it to be? A story of hope as you get to, I guess, maybe in, in in from a Christian lens, you're getting to the book of Revelation, let's say, which is the all the cataclysmic battle that happens where evil is finally punished. Hum, uh, you know, human beings are liberated from this you know, yoke of evil, and we're moving on to what happens afterwards. Do you find those parallels, and do you think that it is a mess, those, that, that his message is a message of hope? Yes, absolutely. Like... Um... I uh, listened to uh, a podcast. Uh, it's called uh, the Amansul podcast, which is hosted by an Orthodox priest. And he talks about, I mean, many topics in Tolkien's universe. But one of his major points is what is Tolkien's overall theme? And his you know, conclusion was the same thing as yours and mine in the sense of hope. And even inside of that, you know, because there's a lot of Christians, maybe not so much today, but maybe historically who would have, looked at Tolkien's writing as like, oh, he's got wizardry and sorcery and all this kind of stuff. So we shouldn't be touching all that kind of stuff. And this priest, you know, that podcast, he was talking about, look, you got to look past the magic. Like that's not the the gist of the story. That's an element of it. But yeah, I would say hope is definitely the biggest thing because even in Sam and Frodo, and I mean, it's portrayed very well in the, the two towers, but especially in the book, you know, all that Sam and everybody has to run on is hope that tomorrow will be a better day if we're able to pick up, you know, if you want to use the Christian terminology, our cross and carry on. And even when Sam and Frodo are at the, um, the slopes of Mount Doom, you know, Sam is the only one who is able to bear both Frodo and the ring to get him to uh, the place where he can throw it in the rings of fire um, because, you know, if you don't have the ability to hope for a better tomorrow, then what's the point? I agree. You know, if it's all just going to be drudgery and death and darkness, you know, which is very prevalent in Tolkien's writing. And it's like, Hey, that's the state of the world. You know, there's just darkness everywhere and there's little pockets of light here and there. Um, but overall, if we have the ability to destroy evil, then we should pursue that course, no matter the cost. 
So, I have a question. Go ahead. So when we were talking about the villains, um, and you have to forgive me because I'm not a hundred percent. Like I've I've seen the movies. I haven't read the books yet. Um, the White Wizard, it's Sauron, right? Is Saruman. It Saruman. Saruman. Okay. How? What happened? How come he flipped? Why did he go to the dark side, or was he always the dark side? Do you want to take that one, Jay? <clears throat> um, because he was corrupted. Who was he corrupted by? By Sauron. So it it wasn't like he just got sick of like, you know, existing how he was existing and just decided. No. So he just so he was corrupted and can, his mind got controlled by. Here's the thing. He, I'm going to try to. I, I, I'm not going to do it justice. I mean, you're going to have to at least like read read some of like you could look it up for those of that that are interested not necessarily you because my i'll break it down as as easy as i can he literally thought that he and sauron together were going to be equals and that we're going to I, I guess you could say save middle earth in a way but like he doesn't realize it's kind of like when you make a like if again if we're going to use theological terminology it's when you make a deal with the devil you don't realize you're not on an equal footing. No, 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 no. You are a vassal. You are going to work for this force. You're not. You, you, it might look sweet on the on the surface of mm -hmm. it, but that's what he doesn't realize that he himself has is powerless before the temptation of of having this kind of ultimate power. And so, oh, you know, Sauron and I, we're going to run the show, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be in charge. Well, no, you're not. You work for him. That that's that's how that works. Um, but yeah, he he wasn't always corrupt. He wasn't always corrupted. He was the white wizard. You know, he he was one like he's essentially a god on the same level as Gandalf is. They're from the same order, if I'm not mistaken. The, yes. uh, that that ish. How do you say Ishtars is how what's the what were all the wizards? Uh, I believe I, right? it's the Maiar. Yeah, the Maiar. Like Maiar, that's what it is. OK. Mm hmm. And um, they're they're both of the same. Well, you know, of course, the brown. <laughs> he's he's in the same order. Radagast. I love Radagast. I think you know he's been eating. He's such a vibe. Many... He is Dude, such a vibe. He is. He is. I, I identify with him and Gollum. Why? Because you've been eating far too many wild mushrooms. Uh, probably, but no. Like <laughs> I can see, like you know how if you are, if you become obsessed with something or like the the power you know overcoming you, yep. like. You turn into Gollum, like just oh, yeah. like with, um, you know, make a comparison to like drug addicts, you know, like that's it's Gollum. Yeah, chasing the dragon. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like I've watched uh, a couple days ago, Kensington Avenue in Philadelphia, the people on Kensington <sighs> Avenue, and some of them fucking look like Gollum. Okay, like I'm not trying to make fun of those people. It's awful. It's it's awful. But like you can see how he was once you know he was a hobbit and now he's like a former shell of himself but he's still in there you know and mm -hmm. like the his fighting spirit lives on all the way up until the end and so like you know i i identify with him well he dies with his precious in his hands like knowing that he was going like he was completely oblivious to his own destruction mm -hmm. it did not matter yeah he wanted to hang on to it to the last second and that's all that mattered to him mm -hmm. which to, again i hate to go back and forth with these parallels but that's most people yeah you know what i mean of course we all want to be aragorn of course we do he's the personification of courage he's fearless in the face of his enemies like he's he's 
you you could kill him and you know, like it, he he lives forever because he has that kind of that that's just who he is mm-hmm. or like Gandalf himself is you know incorruptible as well and <laughs> gives his life for the, for his friends and for the right cause and like again when folks watch the movie they, they, I just wish you could hand them the books because it's like you know why they're crying because that's not because they lost a friend they watched it's the equivalent of being where Jesus was when he was murdered they watched a literal God die in front of them Mm -hmm. who was their their shield and their protection you know what I mean that's again the layers that Mr. Tolkien gives the reader is why I feel I mean there's I, I can't there aren't enough adjectives for me to use in our language for me to describe just how wonderful and how fortunate we were we are to be living in a time where we can digest his work and kind of you know take apart the layers of this onion and see just how far you know it goes all the way to its core there's but yeah I agree with you with and that's that's a redeeming quality of Gollum mm-hmm. is because that like, that's you that's you if you're not careful yeah that and, and and it could be like you said the drugs and i've watched the same videos you have if people with maggots in their wounds because they're so fucking strung out that none of that matters mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to them mm-hmm. their fix matters getting high matters that's terrifying that's terrifying i mean of course addiction comes in many different ways like you're going to be addicted to sex you could be addicted, uh, addicted to alcohol um food for mm-hmm. sure all of these things, and I guess that's where, you know, you, I mean, none of us are, are um, uh, I guess you could say we're all susceptible to these temptations and fighting them as part of that human journey. Fortunately for those of us who battle, I don't want to call normal temptations, whether it be sex or whether it be alcohol or whether it be drugs or whether it be food, though there are far darker corners that we can find ourselves in that are even more destructive because Mm -hmm. the other ones that were just mentioned, especially I find alcoholism to be so fucking insidious. I rarely drink uh, because it's, first of all, it's legal. If we're going to talk about, you know, being able to purchase it at a store, right? Mm -hmm. It's a drug you purchase at a store, much like caffeine is much like nicotine is you can purchase this drug at a store, especially if you've reached like, you know, for our listeners in the UK, I think you're what 19, you can, you can drink. When I went to Ireland, I never saw anybody get carded for, for fucking anything. It's just a different culture, but the insidious nature of alcoholism where it's having a drink after work or having a drink with dinner or having a a nightcap to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, like I've worked like may he rest in peace. I wish Christopher was here to talk about him. A coworker of ours named Steve, uh, who has uh, departed this earth, he was an alcoholic, and at the end of the shift, his hands would start to shake because he needed that drink so bad. He ended up dying of stomach cancer. Um, when they went to his apartment, his apartment was covered in Pepto Bismol bottles because he was sick and wouldn't go to the doctor. And wouldn't get, uh, I mean, left left behind behind uh, you know, a teenage son, like an older teenager, but still, like the alcoholism really did a number on him too. And I'm sure that every single one of us have a story where somebody's lost their life and motivation at the bottom of a bottle. But that's Gollum. 
That's yeah. Gollum. Your precious could be that uh, Bushmills whiskey from from Northern Ireland or whatever, mm-hmm. or it could it, it could be beer. It could be a number of things. You know what I mean? And that's not a judgment here. All of us again have a vice of some sort. Um, I mean, it. That's where those lessons of those stories take away the supernatural aspects of his work. And just look like Gollum is such a grumble. I'm glad you brought him up as such a powerful example of how you can look in the mirror and that's who you're staring back at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to me, and I don't know if you feel that way too, Elliot. Um, but like I, that's, it's a scary thought, but it's a good reminder of how quickly you can become something else. And you can, you, you, you have those moments of clarity, like Gollum becomes Smeagol for a little bit, those moments of clarity, mm-hmm. but eventually he just can't let go. Like he can't <laughs> let go of it. And he goes further down into the abyss and goes right back to where he is. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I mean, I feel very much the same. And the entire time you're all talking, I'm thinking of, um, obviously it's talked about in the book, but in uh, the movie, the, the fellowship, um, when they're in the mines of Moria and Frodo sees Smeagol or Gollum in this case, you know, tracking them. And uh, he tells to Gandalf, it's a pity Bill will not kill him when he had the chance. And Gandalf quickly responds with pity. It is pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that uh, live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? And I think, and I, I don't hate it, but it, it's always just coming back to me. Um, the idea of, you know, because again, Tolkien was a Roman Catholic, the whole idea of Christianity is supposed to be forgiving and loving our brothers and sisters and everything. And if you can look at Gollum and because like, I mean, you guys are talking about Philadelphia, but you know, where I work in Seattle, there's druggies, there's homeless people everywhere. And I have a like a very good a friend of mine who looks at homeless people and he's like, we should come on an island and they should fight to the death because they're a nuisance, yada, yada, yada. And I remember because uh, I looked it up, how many people in the United States are two paychecks away from being, you know, homeless? And it's 55%. That's nationwide. 55% of the U.S. population is two paychecks away from being out of the home and on the streets. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that just living on the streets will turn, make you go to dark places real fast, you're, you're wrong. So, yes, I look at Gollum. And when I was younger, my dad would just say, of they just would have got rid of you know Gollum right then and there um the quest would have been so much easier and it's just like dude you have to have going back to hope you have to have hope that people can change yes it is unfortunate fact that some people are so far gone that you can pray for them you can offer them help but sometimes they just are not going to take it because everybody has their own bottom but if you're not willing to do what you can for those even your enemies, and that's the part that I struggle with in the Christian faith, is we're supposed to pray for those who oppress us and everything, and I still very much struggle with that. But if I can't look at a, a person who's, you know, say homeless or whatever, you know, and if I can't have a little bit of sympathy in my heart to want to help them or care for them, then I think you're, you're just as far gone as they are, you know, in a different sense. You know, you've just lost all sense of humanity, and it's a very sad thing that we should all actively try to avoid not to become what Frodo was in the two second span of wanting to just boom, get rid of Gollum and everything's better. It's like, it's really not that simple, my guy. So what we're talking about here is compassion, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's hard. That's a hard one too. Like the praying for your enemies or, you know, 
I, I suppose that there, you know, there are limitations to the turn the other cheek business, especially when it comes to your own personal survival. I think that Christians get uh, derided wrongly for this idea that you're just going to lay down and let people do whatever you want to. I don't think that that's the message that's being offered. And that comes from years of study when I was younger, because I used to debate that with people who were trying to one up you. And we're like, well, it says that you're supposed to offer them the other cheek. And like, yeah, but you have two. You have two. After that, it's it's fucking game on, because if somebody's trying to harm you and like harm your family, you have a moral imperative to answer it with uh, at least proportional. And in my mind, disproportional force to make sure that that threat is completely mitigated, because once again, when someone tries to do harm to you, that's an act of evil. And if we're going to, once again, this has become much a, a very biblical discussion, but it says, uh, Lewis says in the book, do not make peace with evil, destroy it. Um, so if someone's trying to harm you, um, that to me is an act of uh, uh, evil violence. And therefore we're not here to make peace with it. We're here to dispatch it with extreme prejudice. And again, it sucks because I think a lot of the values that Christians have are attacked because they think it's like um, it's one of two things. Either you're a crusader who's who's massacring everybody inside the city walls of Jerusalem or you're a pacifist that's just going to let people oppress you and you won't do anything about others being oppressed. I don't think that's necessarily the message that is supposed to be passed on to people. I think it's a complete misinterpretation of, you know, we're talking about it on an individual basis, right? But I believe in the acts of the apostles. Does Jesus not say if you do not have, if you have a cloak and no sword, you are to sell your cloak and buy mm -hmm. a sword? Well, what is he telling you there? Right. What is that? What is that message? Meaning defend Everybody yourself. hugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's defend yourself because, uh, you know, the wolves are after you and you're not supposed to just, you know, just let them do whatever you want. And especially, you know, I mean, my gosh, your family, your children, the your parents, the people. Like, no, 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 no. Nobody's getting in a fucking boxcar, my guy. No, no, not with, not without a pile of empty brass. I could tell you that much. And how do you deal with that yourself? Because I remember as a younger man that folks would use that against individuals who claim to be Christian, right? Um, and I'm always curious to see what your perspective is, especially from an Orthodox perspective, if that's changed at all since you were a young man, to now, you're not middle-aged, of course, you're still a young man, but you're, you're, you're far more mature than, let's say, what you were when you were a teenager, and when you've, you've kind of changed, because I don't think you were raised Orthodox, right? You were more Baptist, I believe it was. Was it was a Baptist? Yeah, my parents were Baptist, but we weren't really church-going. It was just like, my mom's like, oh, there's a Jesus guy, and if you love him, then that's good to go. I'm like, even at a young age, I'm like, I feel like there's a little bit more to that, but whatever. <laughs> right on. <laughs> But how is that has that perspective changed at all um becoming um ortho following the orthodox tradition or like i'm always curious to see what people's perspectives are when, when it comes to different um branches of christianity we're religion in general spirituality in general so i just want to pick your brain a little bit on that one yeah no um for me because i've um you know speaking of forgiveness and compassion i remember um reading you know parts of scripture and just online sources and talking about forgiveness and love for our brothers and sisters, even those who do, do us harm, you know, turn the other cheek. And I went to uh, the, the priest at the Orthodox uh, church I've been going to, and I picked his brain because my girl, you know, love her to death, but her family, you know, they were Lutheran. And again, no disparity against Lutherans, but 
one thing I guess is very prevalent, maybe just in my girl's family, but her mom always told her, forgive, no matter what you have to forgive, doesn't matter what they do to you, you have to just love them for who they are and accept it. But, and I'm not trying to put all my girl's drama out there, but she just doesn't have the best relationship with her uh, mother, unfortunately, you know, I pray for them every day, but it just is what it is. And my girl was feeling really down about this, you know, just like, I love my mom, but I just don't like being around her, but I've been told I have to forgive her, yada, yada, yada. So I took these questions to the priest, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, um, how do you deal with forgiveness? And he's just like, you know, you have to, first of all, acknowledge who they are. You know, you can, you know, try to be like Jesus and like aim for the gold standard, but we're humans, you know, that's one thing I've always like getting back to the violence and, you know, defensive nature of the question. It's like, Yes, some people say, well, Jesus just let the Romans, you know, crucify him. And, you know, why don't you do the same? It's like, well, for one, I'm not God. So I I am trying to aspire in the sense of being the best I can be. But at the end of the day, like you said, um, the priest was telling me that, listen, if we're in eighth century England and the Vikings are, you know, pounding on the city gates, we're not just going to be like, hey, you know, come right in. You know, we'd be like, hey, you know, what's going on here, my guy? You know, can I give you some food? Can I, you know, offer you some help? And if they're like, no, we're here to, you know, take your um, women, kill you and sack the whole village. Then you're like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. So I do think it is because I know I can't remember if it's Quakers or um, Mennonites, but they're basically pacifists. It's definitely uh, Quakers. Definitely Quakers. And so when you, like you mentioned, some people be like, well, you're supposed to just lie down and not defend yourself. I, to me and what the priest was telling me is like, that's not scriptural at all. And I think, and again, he's Orthodox and uh, Roman Catholics, you know, very much the same sense in the aspect of after the Reformation in the 16th century, I want to say. You know, where we have all the Protestant Reformation, all these different off branches, you know, people can interpret the Bible, you know, in many different ways. And obviously, as we're all humans, we're all going to have our own relative interpretations. Yes, some traditions try to follow more what the church fathers and teachings say. But for me, it always goes back to. I'm not going to let someone hurt my loved ones, you know, if it's like even if it's like a total stranger, like a maybe not a total stranger, but like a friend of my family even if I don't have the best relationship with them, I'm not going to just let someone go up and harm them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not in me. You can take Christianity out of it, but you know, I fundamentally believe in the individual rights of self-defense, the autonomy of the individual. And I think it also depends on the level of offense. Like if someone just like, I don't know, cuts me off in traffic or hits my car or, you know, insults me, it's like, okay, you know, this this sucks, but I'm not gonna, you know, like you said, I'm not gonna respond with, you know, whipping out my piece and just pistol whipping you or anything of that nature. But if you cross that line, then it's game over, buddy. I'm sorry. Like if you come into my house and I have, you know, my girlfriend or my dog or whatever, that there's no peace is gone. You you've mm-hmm. lost that. Well, yeah, because they've chosen violence. <laughs> so that hey, so that's on you. That's And I think that that's one thing that I guess as far as, you know, you brought up anarchism and individual, you know, individual anarchists or, you know, um, I guess all many different stripes of of anarchy that that we know personally that we've studied. I think that's almost a unifying quality is, you know, if you leave me alone, I'll fucking leave you alone. But if you choose to harm me, 
um, it's it's game on. Like it's like I will meet you with equal or disproportional force. And like you said, yeah, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, boy, does that shit work me up, man. Like I really pit like in the car. I'm a different like Louis C. Case. I'm a different person and it's not good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. There's got to be some scientific explanation as to why people become different. I think a lot of it, first of all, we're moving at a fast rate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on, a, you know, where any small mistake can send a 4,000 pound projectile in your direction. So I'm a little bit more tense, right? Because any, any of like, you know, even going off the road and, you know, you flip in the truck, you, you, you get paralyzed, which to me is almost worse than dying. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's scary shit. So like when somebody fools around on the road, I, I'm like, you know, you son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, you know, whipping out your, it happened actually not too far from where I live on route 21, uh, here in Northeast Ohio, uh, somebody on an incident of road rage murdered a guy on the street, got out of the car, shot him and drove away. They found the son of a bitch that did it. But I mean, was that really, 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 we're going to just like, that's murder. That's straight up. Yeah. It's not self-defense. It's fucking murder. That's, that's the end of the discussion. Um, and I'm glad they found the son of a bitch because that's just unacceptable. You can't behave that way. Um, no matter how much they piss you off and believe me, yeah. idiot drivers, there are far too many of them and they all vote and they all have bad decision-making skills. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that insight because, you know, for a lot of folks, and I don't know where they stand as far as the listening to the show on the scale of spirituality or what specific flavor they like to choose. But I'm always like, you know, you know how I am. I like to get an interesting uh, perspective and give different perspectives for people to at least digest and say, I think that most folks that heard what you said can at least relate on a base level saying, okay, well, that makes sense. And yeah, the Quakers are 100% pacifists. They're, now the Mennonites, here's what's interesting. I was having this conversation with somebody who didn't know the difference between magisterial Protestantism and by magisterial, what I mean is mainline Protestantism. So you have Anglicanism, which is not even really Protestant because I mean, they have some elements of Calvinism and whatnot, but the most of it was about Henry VIII saying, Hey, Mr. Pope, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and marry this lady. Cause I can't have boy. You know, I don't have any boys yet. So that's a problem. Um, and then you, of course, they have the Elizabethan settlement where she's like, Hey, listen, we got to pick a middle ground here. We've got some principles. We're going to put this together, but not in a sense, like, you know, bat, the Baptists are uh, mainline uh, Protestants, um, uh, magisterial Very low church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who else? Lutherans are uh, magisterial Protestants, and um, I believe there's one more I'm missing. And of course, folks don't understand that the Orthodox Church is not Protestant at all. Um, that is a schism that is, what, over a thousand years old? Uh, Getting close, 1054. 1054. And I believe when I was growing up that Roman Catholics and uh, Orthodox Christians can take communion in each other's churches because the real presence is recognized for those that don't know what I'm talking about. One of the discussions during the Protestant Reformation is consubstantiation versus transubstantiation. What does that mean? Consubstantiation means there is a presence. Like, you know, the the buildup in a Catholic mass and even the Anglican church is the Holy Eucharist. The same thing with the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay, the different branches. That is the whole purpose of the mass is this build up to the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross and you're celebrating you're do you know um you know you're doing exactly as you're commanded according to the new testament according to what Christ said do this in memory of me my body my blood all this good stuff the protestant reformation comes along 
Luther says, no, there's a real presence, but it's not a literal presence, right? Okay. What the Mennonites, a lot of folks don't know this, Mennonites, Hutterites, we're talking crazy hill people stuff. And I don't mean any disrespect, but there is there are levels to this stuff. Anabaptism, okay? That's where Amish people and Mennonites, that is the root of their tree. Those people were radical Reformation folks. So most Christians, uh, mainline Christians, are going to look at the New Testament and say, that's what we're going with. This is where we're going. Old Testament's fine. That's fine. Or the Torah. That's okay. But we're here for the words in red. The Jewish part we don't talk about. Right, right. The huge part we don't talk about. But the words in red are the ones that matter. The radical Reformation people, those folks that are the Anabaptists, they look at the Old Testament far more. And what happened in Germany was, I mean, people forget about the Peasants' Wars, the wars of religion between uh, Lutherans and Catholics. And finally, there was a huge, there was a huge, okay, this is retarded. We're going to stop killing each other. We pretty much believe in the same stuff. We have different interpretations. We are going to live in peace. And the Lutherans and the Catholics are looking at each other like, all right, fine. We don't have to like you. We're going to leave each other alone. And the Holy Roman Emperor is like, all right, right, we, we figured this out. Everybody's cool. We're going to get along. We still blame the Jews for everything, but we're going to get along here, right? The radical Reformation people are like, oh, no. No, no, no. Not only are we not getting along with the Catholics, we don't like the other Protestants because they're not Protestant enough, right? So that's when they break off. Now, Munster, the city of Munster, which is famous for its cheese. Most people know it for the Munster cheese. I make a joke, of course. There is a cathedral. That to this day, you can go there and it has three cages hanging from the steeple right now, right now as we speak. Those three cages once held the bodies of three Anabaptists who had managed to take over the city of Munster, okay, in the 16th century. They booted all the Catholics out of the city. There was a city council, so like it was run by the prince bishop, and the prince bishop was both a prince and a bishop of the Roman church. And he was like, listen, you're going to have half of it is Catholic and half of it is Lutheran. You guys have the city council and you figure it out. You get along. Just pay your taxes. And they're like, all right, that's all right, fine. That's OK. And the Baptists are like, oh, no, no, we're we're not doing that because God told us that the New Jerusalem starts here in Munster. Of course it does. Of course it Where does. Where else would it start? Uh, Missouri, according <laughs> to the Mormons. But let's not get started. <laughs> Um, we, we won't even go down that road. No, no we won't because we I'm not having it. It's I, I'm just not having it. It's archaeologically indefensible, and I'm not going to even play this game. Um, not to mention all the weird shit that goes on out there. You're <laughs> literally next door to all that shit, which is wild. Yeah, in Idaho, we have a lot of Mormons. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Just, just to clarify, you know, one of my best friends is a Latter-day Saint. I love him to death. Ian, I don't know if you ever hear this, but, you know, I hope Rexburg's treating you well. But I... Um, oh, that place... Yeah, to call them uh, Christians is very, very much a stretch. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that's it's definitely not a flavor that I would ever put in my uh, in my cup. That's for sure. There's a shit ton of them in the news all the time lately. She finds a lot of stuff of child abuse happening, which I didn't know was a thing with Mormons. Really? Within, oh. within the LDS, there's a lot of child abuse. Yeah. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, they um the this most recent story um Ruby Frankie and she the the only reason why I know this is because I subscribe to the Law and Crime channel and I just like watch all the stories and there's trials and stuff that I'll watch. And so um she got arrested recently. She was like 
uh, a YouTube mom with, you know, the family channels, how that was like a big thing for a while. I don't know if it still is. Um, Eight Passengers was her YouTube channel. She had, you know, six kids and then it was her and her husband, which made the Eight Passengers. And she's starving her children when they don't do chores. Um, so she gets famous, you know, through YouTube and all of that. And ends up with this lady named Jody Hilbrandt, which is a part of the Mormon church who the Mormon church refers people to go and seek counseling with. And mm -hmm. this lady's fucked up. Like she does fucked up shit to people all the time, like manipulates their minds and like plays games and things like that. So her two of her six children end up being tied up by ropes in this lady's house being starved one of the kids escapes down the street to a neighbor's house he has like lacerations or like ligature marks on his um wrists and his ankles and they were trying to cure it with honey and cayenne pepper and i don't think that's was, gonna work but... no and he was emaciated and the guy who helped him the neighbor was like crying on the phone that's how bad this kid looked he probably would have died if he didn't get out. And that's Very just sad. one we know about. Yeah, that's you know, just one. I think there's somebody could come back at me and say, well, actually, this is a human thing. And there, that you might have cause there. You may have cause there. Not necessarily a religious thing, but just like with the Catholic Church and the prevalence of abuse of children, it seems to be endemic. It seems to be like that's something that the Mormon Church is also dealing with. Mm -hmm. And um, again, uh, ever thus to those who harm children, which is the wall. That's that's how we solve the problem. Well, it's because predators, they have a different frame of mind from you and I and Elliot. Predators know, hey, if I'm a religious leader or if I am a police officer or, or if a Boy I Scout am leader. A, boy, yeah, yeah, somebody with a position Teacher. of power yep. and authority. I can disguise myself behind that as a good person because I've made it to this position. So people are already going to have a preconceived notion. It's called impression management. So they're impression managing you with their position, title, appearance, etc. And behind it all, they're manipulating so then they can abuse children or abuse whatever, mm -hmm. if it's stealing money, children you name it that's what they do yeah and it's it's a horrible it's just it's i i hate every minute yeah. of and it. their brain hate works it. differently from you and i like where you would see something oh like oh this is a great idea for whatever reason they're like mm, i can use it to do that right you yeah. know it's just up in the mind of a monster yeah uh, yeah um but yeah getting back to our uh, our story in germany so those three oh, yes, pages yes. that i mentioned to you in the city of munster um, I believe, I think it was, uh, I don't, it might've been Jan van Leiden. I think it was Ber Jan van Leiden, Bernard Nipperdalen, and I forget the last guy's name. There's a great book that I've been trying to get a hold of for a while. It's called The Taylor King, and it deals specifically with this. So what happened was the Anabaptists are like, okay, we're kicking all the Catholics out of the city and the city council. You're, you're leaving. You could take, you, you can't even take your property with you. Your property is now property of uh, the New Jerusalem. That's what we're going to do. So, oh, no, no, no. There's a communist element to this. Wait, wait and see. So they take over, they get in there, and then they start kicking the Lutherans out. They're like, no, no, no. It's, you need to be rebaptized as an Anabaptist 
um, and um, you need to join us. Uh, all the doors had their locks removed so that these roving patrols, it reminds you of Saudi Arabia and the uh, religious police, would go around and inspect. They were forcing women who had uh, husbands who were not living in the city to take another husband. They were forcing children to marry old men. Okay. Held property in common. Where have we heard that before? Okay. Um, they had a very communist style of living. And the Prince Bishop is trying to negotiate with them. They try, they get, they try to get Martin Luther involved. So they go to the boss, right? They're like, hey, you said we can interpret the Bible any way we want to, right? Well, this is how we're interpreting it. Martin Luther is like, you people are all fucking crazy. Like, you need to stop your bullshit right now. What you're doing is evil. This is not okay. Not, not approved. Do not drag me into this. I already have enough problems. The most powerful man in Europe hates me. I don't need any more heat. Okay, we're trying to fix things. Mm -hmm. So the Anabaptists are like, fine. We're going to ask all Anabaptists to come here, and they're going to be part of our army, and we're starting uh, the new world. is going to begin right here in the city of Munster. Well, they're killing Anabaptists as they're coming into the city because the Prince Bishop's forces and the Holy Roman Empire are like, this is, this, is, this is a problem. But people get in. So the Prince Bishop does what he doesn't want to do, and he's like, i got to put my own fucking city under siege. Great. Um, and they build a wall around the city walls, meaning nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out, which means food isn't getting in. The Anabaptists tell them, the leaders of this thing, tell people that, oh, on Easter Sunday, the Lord is going to convert the cobblestones to bread. People were breaking their teeth on the cobblestones trying to eat this. People were starving, right? They started raiding the graveyard. Well, eventually the Prince Bishop's forces do what they do best, which is take the fucking city. And it is absolute hell, okay? The Anabaptists fought. They fought off a couple of attacks, but eventually it was just, it was a matter of time. The Empire was involved now. Like you. How many Anabaptists were there, roughly? Because I know you said they were kicking out the Catholics and the Lutherans, mm -hmm. but it's like, I mean, I don't know the population at that time, but it's just like, I mean, to me, it's like there couldn't have been that many Anabaptists, could there? Well, it was growing. The fire was rising up until this point. And I'm going to get to the details on that in just a second. All right, all right. I don't have actual, I don't have the, the, the numbers in front of me. I'm going all of mem from memory from reading about this. So what happened was is they put the city under siege. The Anabaptists fought and they, kept, they held them out. And the Prince Bishop keeps trying to negotiate with them because it's the, the army's costing him money. Destroying his own city walls is costing him money. And he's like, can we, listen, you turn over the guys that started this whole thing. Everybody goes home. Okay, and the Anabaptists are like, you can surrender anytime you want. So that's not an answer the Prince Bishop is going to go for. I'm like, no, I'm, I don't think you understand how this works. Uh, so they eventually take the city. Um, they capture these three leaders of the Anabaptist movement, right? And by German law, they are given a trial. They are found guilty of a whole host of crimes. And the, even the um, the uh, Prince Bishop meets. I think it's um, Jan van Leiden. I think. Uh, and he goes, do you have any idea how much trouble you've caused for me? I believe Jan van Leiden tries to negotiate with him in his cell. And he's like, listen, Prince Bishop, if you you can parade me around to each little town and I can give speeches on why it's a bad thing to do what I did. And you'll, you could charge money for people to come and see me. And the Prince Bishop is, I'm afraid that we're well past that point. Okay, where this isn't a this isn't a negotiation. This here is a sentencing trial. <laughs> so um, by German law. There was one hour of torture, one hour, okay? And let's say, well, I'm going to give you a picture, Elliot, and listeners. 
there is a pole standing straight up and coming off the pole are three separate poles in which these individuals are tied to okay they're they're restrained to this thing what happens is is they pick the first guy let's say frank jones over here he's i'm sorry frank you got i don't know who the third guy i don't remember the third guy's name so we're calling frank frank's in big trouble he's gonna go first first they take hot pokers and they put them under your armpits and remember you're chained up like this they put them under your armpits that fled that nice little bit put them in there and pull they pull them down then they begin to flay okay you bernard nipperdalen or let's say jan van leiden or next to him you are hearing and smelling every bit of this okay Maybe this car- this individual's voided their bowels, which is understandable because you're being tortured. You shit yourself, right? Um, you're hearing the screams. You're smelling the flesh being burned. Uh, I, one of the guys tried to kill himself. Uh, he was restrained, um, you know, by the neck, and he tried to pull himself down on his uh, with his weight. Okay, the executioner sees this and goes, "Oh no!" So they got a spike collar, so that way you were completely immobilized. No, no, no. You 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 wait your turn. Everybody gets one. If you pass out, Elliot. They stop the clock. We said an hour. You get an hour. So if you pass out at minute 54, we'll wait for you to wake up. You still got six minutes to go. Then we cut out your tongue, right? And then eventually we kill you by law. This is in the 1600s? Uh, 1500s, 16th century. The, after all three of these men are tortured and executed, their bodies are put in these cages. Those cages are there right now right now you all three of us get on a plane right now and go take a look at them they're still there the anabaptist movement after that suffers a tremendous blow to their movement they swear off violence and that's where you get amish folks and the followers of menon which became mennonites who are all over this country okay Mm -hmm. especially here i know that in Pennsylvania, Amish are big. I know that in upstate New York, and especially here in Ohio, I mean, we were down Amish country last what, last weekend. Um, Christopher was down Amish country last weekend, too. Uh, it's just right outside our door. These are the descendants of those Anabaptists, those radical Reformation people. Who do you think started, who do you think founded this country? Why, that's why a lot of people don't understand. There's Protestants and there's Protestants. Like, for example, there's Cavaliers and Roundheads. Cavaliers are Church of England people, right? Roundheads are Oliver Cromwell people who are fucking Puritans, and they're a whole nother level of asshole. They're they're insufferable people, okay? They're the ones who founded this whole fucking place. Those are not magisterial Protestants. Those are radical Reformation Protestants. It's a whole different, like if you've read Hawthorne, you get a glimpse into what those people are thinking. They don't celebrate Christmas. They think Christmas is evil. Well, we're here for Christmas. We like Christmas. Christmas is a good time. It's a good time for everybody. You get down, you have a nice meal, exchange of gifts, whatever. You get some time off work, hopefully. No, no, no. Puritans are a whole nother level of radical Reformation Protestant that I'm not a huge fan of. I think it's a zero out of 10. But anyway, if you're curious, there's a book called The Taylor King and Christmas is approaching. I haven't been able to buy it. Just like the the super male vitality, I will take super male vitality <laughs> and read the book, and I'll read it to you in my Alex Jones voice here on the show. 
Um, I don't know how long I could go for without being properly hydrated. That's a hell of a topic. But anyway, so I, I'm always fascinated by this. I'm always fascinated by how groupthink can radically infect people. Um, even that, like there are people who were who had already converted to Lutheranism. So they already did a huge step, right? They broke with the church when it was an offense that could have cost you your life. Yeah. There's peace where everybody's like, all right, listen. Because they don't people don't realize the Holy Roman Empire after the Reformation stayed intact because there was an agreement after they were like, Okay, Christians have been killing each other for a while. This is stupid. Enough of this bullshit. Everybody's gonna get along. You don't have to like, you know, be friends and what have you, but you're gonna you're gonna leave each other alone. The the, the bloodshed's gonna end. There's this whole another group that comes in and is like, no fucking way. So you converted, you became a Lutheran, which again, when it wasn't safe, okay, it's not like you're in Des Moines, Iowa, all right. Then here comes this group says, you got to do it again. Give us all your shit or you're going to you're going to kick you out in the fucking cold. You're not going to have anywhere to live. You must do this. And, oh, you got a young daughter. Well, she needs to be married because we need to populate the earth. Comrade, it's a whole like that whole part of history. I find like I love history in general, but that I find fascinating because I don't think a lot of folks realize what the world looked like with some of these groups that came through and how these groups are here they people don't don't question like why do they call it pennsylvania dutch it's not dutch it's german it's middle german it's german uh in the language of the bible in the 1600s it's the it's essentially this equivalent of what the quebec people speak their version of french is the same as the settlers from uh from new france it's different than the french that's spoken today same thing with Pennsylvania Dutch. It's not Dutch, it's German. And where these people come from, dude, nobody has any idea. They never even question it. And of course, I'm always the guy who's like, I, I'm big into epistemology. And I also like, uh, I, I'm, I always want to know where shit comes from. I always know, I want to know, how did we get here? What's the line? What's the history of this? And then when you, know, when you find out that these are the descendants of radical Reformation Protestants, it's like, holy shit. Like, there's a direct connection between the city of Munster and you fucking people. Yeah. Wild shit. We love your chocolate and your peanut butter. It's great. <laughs> Delicious. You know, but um, just please don't do that again because, you know, we all get along. You do you. I do me. But we, we can't have a city of Munster dude, incident again. Dude, the people, like, it's cultish, like, sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, what I mean, so, like, not to, like, bring back up the Mormons or anything, but, like. Oh, no, we can bring them up. So they believe that the doctrine is is living. It's not a dead doctrine. So I could have if I was Mormon, I could have a visit from Jesus mm -hmm. and Jesus could tell me you know whatever Jesus wants to tell me. So Jesus could say, "Hey angel, mm -hmm. you are now the messenger on earth for me and I want you to lead my people yeah. to New York City, and that's going to be the New Jerusalem. Great. And let's I pick a different place, not yeah. New York. Let's pick. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, wherever else, like where, where would we like Des Moines, New Iowa? Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, Iowa is going to be the New Jerusalem, Angel, and you are going to lead my people. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah, so then I can go up to another fellow Mormon and say, "You have to hear my testimony." Jesus came to speak with me and he told me we must go to Des Moines, Iowa. This is the new Jerusalem and I am the one to start it. Great. 
And then yeah. it just circles and then people follow you and then people end up dead. The like it's crazy. And I'm, it, it is crazy. And Elliot, I don't mean to disrespect to your friend or anybody in general, but I'm just going to go ahead and say something that um, I, I, I have, I, I can't deal with that. I could deal with a lot, but the whole magic hat and the magic glasses and the, oh, well, you know, hey, could you read them again for me? Well, God's mad that I told you. So now he's going to give me new plates. So I get to, they're not the same message. And people buy that shit. Do you know the first Mormon church is in Kirtland, Ohio? Yeah. Yep. Right. It's not too far from here. It's about an hour from where most of us live. Really? Oh, yeah. The first, they got kicked out of every fucking place they went. They went to war in Illinois. They were fucking kicked out of Missouri. And you know, wasn't people, it in Missouri that the, and I could be mistaken here, but on. I could have swore I read that um, the governor or some state representatives put out basically bounties on if you come back with Mormon scalps. Again, I don't know if that's actually true, but I've heard that from my Mormon friends. Like we were in Missouri, then the, the state was trying to scalp us and you know we're gonna pay ransom or money for it so that's why we had to leave from our oppressors and all that kind of stuff and i'm just like if true for one that's fucking crazy mm -hmm. but two you're fucking crazy too so like <laughs> yeah my, my girl when she was going to school at the university of washington again she was raised lutheran uh baptized the whole nine yards but she was alone she didn't have any real friends or family when she was going to UW, but Anyway, she came across some people who, you know, were trying to be nice and um, polite and invite her not to do things. And my girl's a social butterfly. She loves people. Um, but turns out they were Mormon. And my girl got wrapped up in the Mormon church for about two or three months. And they kept coming to her door day after day. Just be like, you know, we gave you the reading material. Have you converted? And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm good with my Mormon stuff or my uh, Lutheran stuff. And, they're, and they just kept coming back after day after day. And finally, she gave in. And one of the craziest things I ever heard, and at least from uh, in this case, was my girl was being baptized in the name of all these deceased Mormons who, for whatever reason, they had died suddenly. And so um, they had my girl be their vassal, more or less. And she was like baptized 20 times, you know, within a day. And she was like, I was in a cult. And, you know, she's like, um, I felt in danger you know and i was feel like i was being brainwashed so yeah uh, it is without a doubt one of the most maybe not the most crazy christian denominations but it is like i, I don't know how people i mean i know how people can get wrapped up in that kind of shit but at mm. the same time it's like you can't just look around and be like we're a little psycho here don't we think mm -hmm. bob are, are we not psycho okay okay yes yeah. we're not <laughs> it's it's archaeologically indefensible i just it's... i don't know i like i've never been in that position where i could possibly be indoctrinated into an uh, a cult without really realizing it just because like groups of people make me feel naturally uncomfortable so i don't know if i would ever be in that position but if i ever was i'm pretty sure once something weird like that happened like you're gonna dunk me 20 times for what I'm out. Sorry. Well, the whole the whole rebaptizing thing is is kind of retarded in my opinion too, because even um, most branches of uh, of Christianity, and I had no idea that we were going to turn this into a theological discussion, but I'm enjoying <laughs> it. Um, but I know that most branches of Christianity recognize one baptism, and that's it. Yeah, one baptism. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's it's over. Like eighth ethnic, eighth ecumenical council in seven eighty seven, I believe. Mm -hmm. You know, just cleared that shit up. It's like one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. You cannot that's be. It. 
Yep. It's even in the Nicene Creed, too. So, you know, the acknowledgement of one baptism. So as soon as somebody starts trying to dunk you in this pool a couple times, you should probably leave, no matter how good the buffet is afterwards. I'm sorry. It's just and as far as your aversion to groups, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But I think a lot of people enjoy the community of a church yeah. or a particular religious organization or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever it is that you do. No, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's I mean, I I've think that gone to church. I like you know there's yeah, there oh yeah there's a lot there, there's a lot to like um I, my whole thing like growing up that i used to get pissed off was the whole god will see your generosity because we need to do this and we need more please don't don't confuse the two of those like say hey we need a new bathroom with rails because we have handicapped people can you help out yeah sure don't give me that God sees my generosity stuff. This is the Catholic Church. You call the Pope, and he's got lots of fucking mm -hmm. money because he's got the, the best collection of art on the planet that they mm -hmm. stole from everybody else. So why don't you call him? If but but don't confuse. I hate wrapping the two of those up. Those two those two things are mutually exclusive. Okay, you want help with the ADA bathroom? Not a problem. Okay, as soon as you see somebody will see my generosity, neighbor. I don't have time for that shit. Like don't don't mix the two of those. Okay, I. If, it, and that's one thing that I think turns off a lot of people. But at the same time, I think most most organizations, like if you have like donuts and coffee afterwards, I, that's a pretty good indication you're pretty relaxed, right? Hey, after, you know, the mass or service or whatever it is. Have some cookies. We're having like, I mean, the Jews can't do dairy and uh, and meat together, so, but they can do donuts. They, they can eat donuts. I've watched the Hasidic Jew eat three cream sticks on a fucking flight to New York City. But that's dairy. Yeah, but there's no meat. Okay. Okay. There's no meat. I don't know if the donut was made on a Saturday. We didn't get into that. I didn't talk to him. I just watched him eat three cream sticks. He was a very happy man. But he didn't make them, so it's okay. No, he didn't make them. But if the donut's not kosher, then that's a problem. It has to be. It cannot be made on the Sabbath. Just like you know, the pine box they bury people in. Mm -hmm. You have to have a kosher kosher coffin. I it know. cannot be made on a Saturday. That's why they have their own memorial homes that deal with that stuff. And of course, funeral directors hate it when Jewish uh, funerals come through because they're cheap. Um, and they're not going to spend a lot of money on a stupid box to put your rotting body in the ground. It's completely retarded. They still do that in um, the Orthodox tradition. You're not allowed to do uh, um, cremation. Does it have to be burial? I'm actually not uh, aware of that answer. I know uh, it was one of them I was going to ask the Orthodox uh, priest, but because, like I said, I'm not even baptized yet. Um, even though my parents were, again, like I said, you got to believe in the Jesus thing, but mm. if ever something that was in our life at all so if i'm going to be baptized you know which i very much want to be uh, i would like it done in the orthodox church but my girl like i said she's lutheran but she does not want to be you know put in the ground she wants to be you know cremated and dumped yeah. forever which you know is kind of hard for me a little bit just because i love her so much and i don't want to think you know i mean both are sad you know your body is rotting in the ground but then your not a good outcome. remains are just gone in the wind somewhere. Um, so I guess I just love her too much. I don't think about her dying or any of that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know within orthodoxy because um, I'm pretty sure in, I know obviously they had the split, not communion, but the Roman Catholics. At least this was from my aunt on my dad's side because she's Roman Catholic. They they can't, you can't even like have like. Um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, because you were raised Roman Catholic. You can't have any sort of family memorabilia when you go into the grave and all that kind of stuff. Like, I guess one of her Catholic friends was wanting, like, the remains of her deceased cat, like, cremation with her. And I guess that was a big no-no. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't fully um, know about the Orthodox perspective on. I, I have, it ahead. says the Eastern Orthodox Church as another religion that doesn't believe in cremation. The church is a branch of Christianity in which cremation is strictly prohibited. Right. The church interprets what the Bible says about cremation to mean the practice interferes with resurrection as the body will no longer be in its original form. The church will not allow funerals for cre cremated members unless cremation is required by law. There's an epidemic or the person was cremated against their wishes. However, many other Christian de denominations interpret the Bible differently. Okay. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. And to answer your question, I've never, uh, the only thing I've ever heard is that it's a, um, um, a state law with putting remains of animals in with human beings and interring them together. I know from growing up that the church changed its mind, the Roman tradition changed its mind, I think after Vatican II, where they allow cremations, but you have to bury your ashes in a Catholic cemetery. Um, so they still have rules for what to do with you after the fact. Um, I want to be thrown into the little Cuyahoga River in Akron. I'm fine with that because Ghost and I walk there all the time, or at least we used to. Um, and I love that little river. Uh, you've seen pictures of it because you're on the family Facebook. I love going down there. And um, you want to visit me? You can hang out at the little Cuyahoga River. It's a great place. There's a lot of nice stops on there. I think that'd be a fine place for me to go. Very um, well thought out. I could get behind that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I, I, the last thing I want, like I've had this discussion, my wife and I, because, you know, when you're married and you have to have these conversations because somebody's going to be left standing without a chair when the music stops. It's just the way it works unless you're lucky and you both die at the same time. Um, and I mean that literally because, again, none of this is going to end well. Most of the time this won't end well. Somebody gets gets it doesn't get to go with you. Um, so you have to have these conversations as you get older. And it's, you know, for me, it's a cost thing. Like, I don't need my kid and my wife going to a stupid graveyard to cry to a chunk of marble when I'm not there. I'm, I, I absolutely do not want them to waste their fucking time. And I definitely don't want them to waste their money. I'm dead. Whatever happens after that doesn't matter. Okay. There could be a myriad of things that happen. But one thing that cannot happen is getting extorted. So somebody can go to Florida on vacation on our dime. That's not happening. Okay. Cheap, like I hate to go Lebowski on you, but the most modestly priced receptacle in the cheapest way of disposing, it's $1,100 right into the fire. They give it to you. They give you a little box. They give you the urn, and then you move on. I, if my wife and my kid want to spend money on Skittles instead of doing the funeral service, I think that's money well spent because you enjoy it, right? You enjoy that. You have an ice cream, whatever it is. You're, you're alive. I'm dead. Like that's, that's the way it should be. You have fun as best as you can mm -hmm. in light of the situation. Um, it's just a, like a whole, it, to me, it's so in, in, incomparably expensive and unreasonable to be like, well, okay, so let's, again, if we're looking at this from the Almighty's perspective, who created the heavens and the earth and the universe, everything that you see and can't see, but he can't resurrect your ashes into a human being again. I think that that's fucking stupid. Either he's all powerful and can, or he or whoever is all powerful and can put you back together like that, or he's not. Why do we have to like go through this process? Like, I mean, again, the evolution of understanding of how things work as, you know, saying, hey, you know what? You know, burying a body makes sense back in the day because we had to get your stinky ass into the ground mm -hmm. because you could infect people with the plague. Okay, I understand. Well, if you burn people, it's like hellfire. Do you, what do you think they did to plague victims? You know, when there were too many of them. They didn't have time to dig well, holes. Well, they said a, a, an epidemic. 
Okay, that's an excuse. That's an exclusion. Yeah. For, okay. Well, there you have it then. So, say you had COVID. <laughs> Sorry, we got to set you on. Yeah, the spicy <laughs> flu. Spicy flu. You got to go um, into the fire. But yeah, I, I find you know the thing is too is like that those cults like the Jehovah Witness, for example. I have a good friend of mine who's the worst Jehovah Witness you've ever met. Cheated on his wife. He's a gambler and a, and a drunk. Okay. But he loved to talk to me about his translation of the Bible, how it's the most accurate, which is demonstrably false. It's not. It's the worst. Uh, but he was like, well, no, because you guys have been lied to. I'm like, neighbor, your organization predicted the end of the world incorrectly four times. Like, you have no legitimacy. It's like the Seventh-day Adventists. They're like, oh, in 1836, uh, this is when God's coming back. And people sold their shit. People yeah. sold their farms and their livestock. They're like, we're ready to go. And 1836 came around and they were still in upstate New York without their stuff, without any of their farm. And it happened several times. To me, that's puts you on a different like it puts you on the Mormon level of cults. Like you're 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 way the fuck out there. You're way the fuck. If you're relaxed and groovy, you're like, hey, all are welcome here. We got some rules. And if you're cool with our rules, you can hang out with us. If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, you could sit in the back. You can hang out with us when we have we go bowling. You can come bowling uh, donut Sundays for all the people, um, whatever. We're, we'll be friendly with you. But if you want to be like a member of the organization, you got to do X, Y and Z. That's no different than a fraternal organization that you join mm -hmm. um, who are like, hey, we have certain rules. And if you want to abide by the rules, we'll give you a stripe and you're in the club and you get the vote and you're part of the vestry or whatever. Um, but as soon as it becomes this pressure of have you converted yet? Well, you know, we want to talk. Here's reading material. We want you to join us. And if I say I'm good, that should be fucking enough. Okay. No, thank you. No is a complete sentence. Leave me the fuck alone. And mm -hmm. um, again, when you've been kicked out of every, like we here in Ohio are reasonable people. There's a lot of different stripes here. We just mentioned two of them who make great chocolate and peanut butter. We get along. The Mormons did not get along with anybody here. They got booted out. Not only of New York, but here in the Ohio Soviet, and as well as Illinois Stan and Missouri Stan, they were like, and, and neighbor, I hate to tell you, like Midwestern people are pretty relaxed, the groovy people. If you are too much for us, there's something wrong with you. There's definitely something wrong with you. So that's why they had to go to the fucking desert. And I had and no even idea. within Mormonism, I remember not to interrupt. But I remember. Oh, this go ahead. Um, I mentioned the podcast earlier. Actually, it's this other podcast. It's a. Uh, the Areopagus podcast on Ancient Faith um, Radio. It's an Orthodox organization. They have um, Father Stephen Damick and uh, Pastor, um, oh my God, Pastor Mike, and he's a mainline Protestant. And they had on a guest who was a, um, a former Mormon, and they're going into the history of like, even within the Mormon or Latter-day Saint tradition, like I think it was uh, when they moved out West or migrated out West, there was infighting even with them. They had like battles and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't it's like, oh, one united from within the Mormon tradition. It was just mm -hmm. like, no, we are going, throwing down to see who's the leader and all that kind of stuff. And it was just mind blowing, you know, to hear all that kind of stuff. And oh, yeah. obviously, you know, within just people in general, you know, you're going to have conflict, but just the scale of it, it's like, wait a minute. We all say we're following this Joseph Smith guy and his teachings, but and I can hear some people say, well, this is the problem with uh, the Reformation. Everybody's got their own opinion on it and they're going to fight over it. But it's just like, are we on the same team or not here, guys? Like, how how long are we going to play the stupid game? Like, no, my cult leader is better than your cult leader. Like, I, I just, Right. 
Right. And I think that there's also some, they're, they're not even, um, uh, again, I, I had no idea that this was going to go in this direction, but I know quite a bit about it. Um, they're not the same as like Trinitarian Christians. Um, they, they don't have the same understanding. I know the word Trinity is not in the scriptures, but there's an understanding of what the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is, right? The, the Godhead, um, the relationship they have, you know, like, you know, one God and three persons. No, no, they're three separate people for the yep. Mormon church. So they're not, they're, um, uh, I guess you could say uh, polytheists as opposed to, you know, believing in one God, um, which is wild. And of course, that extra part of the Bible where it's the Book of Mormon, which, uh, what is it, um, the angel Moron or Moroni or whatever the fuck Moroni. is. Moroni. I hear Moron. That's I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I hear. Um, the Pearl of Great Price, where they tell the rules are like you have to obey the government and authority, which I read the regular Bible quite a few times, and it's like, well, no, there's one fucking authority, and it's not this asshole. Um, you know, well, the, the whole render under Caesar with a Caesar and, you know, that's a little bit different. Let me ask you this. This is brought up several times back in the day. Romans 13. Hear that a lot. How do you feel about Romans 13? Oh, boy, that's a whole can of worms. But I will just say, um, like, oh, I have the book right here. So this book, you know, it's called Anarchy and Christianity. And mm -hmm. granted, it's written by um excuse me this is french so forgive my pronunciation jacques elul um i believe he's a protestant i believe he was lutheran but he um goes throughout many different passages within the old and new testament you know uh first samuel i think chapter eight i believe talks about how you know when the israelites were looking at all the uh, surrounding uh, kingdoms and they're like we want a king and all that kind of stuff and um you know, they, oh, I, I feel so bad. I can't remember his name. Was it? Yeah, you know, they went to Samuel and they're like, hey, give us a king. And Sam goes, God's like, hey, they want a king. And he's like, well, they have basically abandoned me. And uh, so they're going to get what they get. They're going to, mm -hmm. their children are going to be sold not into slavery, but they're going to become, you know, soldiers and they're going to sell their land, all this kind of stuff. So I think throughout scripture, there's many different passages that one could look at and be like, you know, all nations are nothing before me. There's only one king, but mm -hmm. uh, no king but Christ and everything. So when I look at Romans 13, I try to put it in the context of, because I believe it was Paul who was writing these. Um, you got to remember, he was in prison, right? And he's there's a lot of uh, turmoil mm -hmm. right now, Jews and Christians and the Romans. There's all this fighting. And, you know, though the Christian um, population was growing in size, the Romans, you know, just had legions, you know, and they were just killing many, many Christians. So I think if I had to put myself in his shoes, he was probably just like saying, Hey guys, yes, we don't like the Caesar guy and everything. And yeah, give what's his, because ultimately the kingdom to come is what ultimately matters. Mm -hmm. But when people try to use that as like, I remember I brought up to the Orthodox priest. I'm like, you know, in Romans 13, you render unto Caesar. So does that mean when, you know, Hitler is rising up in the 1930s or Stalin, you know, pick your leader, bad guy, mm -hmm. you know, and he's just loading up all the Jews or the gypsies or the Poles into the boxcars. Mm -hmm. We're just, so, well, this is ordained by God. He picked Hitler to be in charge. I think you've lost your fucking marbles. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that there's any legitimacy when someone just tries to use that passage as a validation for pick your evil dictator and also if we look at romans 12 just before that 
it talks about loving our neighbor, you know, being the best we can towards each other and following Christ. So if, and again, some might say this, the Protestant part of my anarchist beliefs, but it's just like, oh, you're just picking and choosing. But I think you have to look at the Bible as a whole. And for me, I don't think that anybody can justifiably say that because Romans 13 says, render under Caesar, therefore you must bow down to any, you know, organization or government mm-hmm. or whatever i think you know and maybe the orthodox you know as a whole have a different perspective on it this is just my take on it but again talking to the priest he was just like when i talked about hitler he's like no no you have no legal and moral obligation to abide by whatever you know leader who's in charge at this moment in time says ultimately there's no king but christ you are asked to follow him and that is that is the way okay i appreciate that uh that insight, I'm always curious to see what people think of that because that also seems to be a, another thing that's used against people to get them to fall in line. We're like, oh, well, you know, it says here, and it's like, well, yeah, but... Um, but you... they just want you to, like, they're just at, in that... So, like, man, man wrote the Bible, right? So, like, it's just another way of getting you to, like, just pay your taxes. Like, <laughs> that's what I feel like. It's like, yeah, just do what we say. Like, you know, the Bible does say, like, mm-hmm. you know thou shall not murder thou shall not you know steal blah 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 blah, all the 10 commandments right just follow that and you'll be fine just you know do what we say you know do what's right and not no harm will come to you i think that that's what that passage kind of means but like again a man wrote that so it's obviously going to be a man in prison a tool you know to use no i understand and i think that taking it contextually is important as you had uh had mentioned as far as uh paul being in prison and he ultimately suffered the ultimate fate for what you know his conversion uh because he was a christian killer himself and then you know the road and and you know, he, he had that vision or what have you um but this was uh this i i totally agree with taking it into context and i understand i understand what he was saying i and here my thing is back in the day when i would read when i would be you know studying I was more concerned with the words in red than I was with anything else. Um, and to me, that was the only thing that really mattered. Not that the rest of it wasn't interesting or there wasn't some sort of wisdom you could glean from the other readings. But at the end of the day, it was the words in red that I was kind of focused on. And um, again, to each their own, you can interpret it any way you want. But I think that that's why I think a, a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of appeal for anarchists who are christian to be drawn to anarchy or to lowercase libertarianism because of that individual choice and that individual relationship and how you have one boss and it's not anybody on this planet that's the boss you know what i mean i i get that and i'm always you know again i had no i have literally there was no agenda there are no files we didn't know that the conversation was go this way uh, but i'm always fascinated to hear the perspectives especially if the people i care about and my friends and uh ellie and i are uh, are are really good pals uh my my redheaded brother from another mother on another coast no less um and he came to my defense over my peanut butter choice uh look at the oh shit look at that christopher <laughs> is rolling a- <laughs> bravo he defended my peanut butter choice i was trying to do the right thing and 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 Yuck. bless this man for uh for does coming. it have sugar you see this man? He doesn't eat sugar. Uh, ingredients. Organic dry roasted peanuts and sea salt. 
So no sugar. Uh, no sugar. No added sugar. There it is. But it doesn't taste like that great. I, I like it's it. It's different. It, I will give you that. It definitely is different. It's a different uh, texture. Yeah, it's definitely different. Like, you know, when you open it, because I go to the local co-op here where I live, and, you know, they have all, as my dad would say, the, that damn greener hippie shit that you spend <laughs> so much money on. Um, but, yeah, like when you actually produce peanut butter the traditional way there is a layer of oil on the top and you scoop that in mm -hmm. so yeah if you're used to the jiff or skip or whatever and you're just like what is this liquid jizz coming out of my peanut butter jar i'm not <laughs> into that what's wrong with you um for me it's just like i look at my and my car bleh, my body as a car and an engine and i try to within reason i'm not perfect but try to put the best fuel in it that i can and yes, I'm not going to eat this whole thing in one sitting, but you know, it's my sweet thing. I like to snack on a little bit, maybe a little jar of some raspberry jam, you know, go about my day. But um, yeah, Jay, I got you brothers for life. Hey, see, thank you very much. <laughs> Here I was trying to do the right thing. And uh, by the way, I went down to, um, like I was telling you, uh, I went, there was a family outing where we went down to Anabaptist territory and uh, I got myself, my friend, let me tell you something, the rest of you's. Uh, if you ever have a sweet tooth and you want me to send this to you, honey roasted peanut butter. Ooh. Oh boy. Let me tell Ooh. you how dangerous this is. It is phenomenal. I haven't even put it on anything. I, I put it on a spoon and I ate it. That's um, the scary part right there. Oh God. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no toast. There's no, there's no, no, there's no celery. There's no nothing. It's straight into the trap. It's amazing. It's, it's delicious. And again, the ingredients that they use are very few, uh, very few, uh, because like, and, you know, as it I, should be as it should be like I, I am a sucker for Jif. I always have been. But if you look at the bad, the jar, like it's delicious. It is fucking delicious. And but if you look at it, I mean, there's a lot of additives to it. And I and listen, I was trying to get on the track here. I was trying to do the right thing. And you know, this peanut butter is disgusting. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm just trying my best. So thank you for coming to my defense here. Uh, you know, Gondor called for aid and Rohan, Rohan answered. answered. God, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the way it was. So I love this man for, for sticking up for me um, and my peanut butter choice. So um, I don't have anything else. I really, I, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I had no idea the direct, I like it when it's a little bit rudderless. Let the wind take you mm -hmm. wherever we're supposed to sail. So if you, if folks, you listen to this, if you got anything out of it, if you need, if we need to make a correction, uh, if we miss something, please let us know. Um, kind of flying by the seat of my pants, especially with the Munster story. Again, that book, um, Christmas is coming up. So if some of you want to help, I, I'll t tell my wife. Uh, it should, it's called The Taylor King. I may have already uh, made a procurement of said book. Oh. I don't know, somehow, some way. Well, bless you. I appreciate it. You're, um, you're welcome. Brush. <laughs> uh, but do you have anything before we uh depart company um i'll say two things and i'll try to keep this short no, but when you were talking earlier about uh being cremated and you know if your wife and son want to spend money on skittles i just read that california has banned you know surprise surprise skittles like you cannot get skittles in what? california what a it was on the free thought project and they're just like, because of the carcinogens and all this type of crap that's in Skittles, California. And I don't know if there's a like a grace period or if it's like oh. by this date, there will be no more Skittles. 
and you know, Angel, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, on multiple pages that I follow, I saw that Skittles are no longer either going to be shipped into uh, California or whatever. I'm just like, uh, just chop it off and let it please. sink into the yeah. ocean. It's no longer necessary. So they're not outright banning Skittles, but skit. there are four ingredients that are um, being banned. So essentially they are, but it's not like it's just Skittles. So um, they are prohibiting the manufacture, sale, or distribution of brom brominated vegetable oil, potassium bromate, uh, pro flyer. I don't know how to say this. I'm going to do the share screen so you guys can see it. Cause... I hate to admit it, but based upon your pronunciation of these ingredients, maybe they might be onto something. <laughs> maybe not yeah. Skittles by the by peanut butter instead. So let's see here. Brominated vegetable oil, potassium bromate. I don't know what this word. Profaparaben and red dye three. Well, the dyes I've heard of. That's that's. Yeah. You just shouldn't eat five thousand skittles. I mean, have one package and drink a water. Um, four chemicals are used. Twelve thousand food products across the country, despite never having been approved for consumption by the illustrious FDA. Like they they approve. But they don't really. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. But look at this. In signing. Oh no no. I want to read this. In, in a signing message, Governor Asshole Newsom said that the law is a positive step forward until the FDA, FDA refuses to establish national regulation on the use of four additives. The law takes effect in 2027 to give companies time to revise the recipes to exclude the harmful chemicals. Let me tell you something about California. This is the least of their fucking concern. Have you seen L.A.? Have you seen pictures of downtown L.A.? They never show us. Tent city ever deep. You can't walk on the sidewalks. So, like, here's the thing, though, with California. Um, it's a communist shithole. Working for a building product manufacturer. Uh, California, I mean, they set a lot of these standards, unfortunately. Of uh, course. Sometimes it's a good thing, right? Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's a bit much. So, like, there's Prop 65. So, like, it starts off, oh, it's just in California. But then if you want to do business in the state of California, which is a large state, um, you have to comply. Any products going in or out of the state of California have to comply with the state of California regulations. Otherwise, they cannot be brought in, used, resold, whatever. So it whatever starts there eventually makes its way all the way across the country. Yeah, makes sense. So, and again, yeah. just to clarify, I'm not saying that people like Jay, you should eat 50,000 Skittles and right. we're going. But at the same time, like you alluded to, it's like out of all the things you guys are wanting to focus on, you're picking Skittles. And yep. again, again, I'm a try. I'm a guy who's eating organic fucking peanut butter. Okay, I I care about people eating good food. But at the same time, it's like so. What are you going to say if, like, are people going to get charged with smuggling in, you know, OG Skittles and now we're going to have Skittle lights? Like, get the fuck out of here. I I'm tired of fucking these. Oh, I, oh, I can't. I'm I just agree. Coming, oh, yeah, no, it's it's incredibly it's, frustrating. It's ridiculous. I agree. It's like, you know, if you're going to put if you're choosing to put something in your body, that's your choice. Like, obviously, banning things doesn't really pan out like we all see that with drugs, like drugs are illegal, certain drugs mm -hmm. and people still obviously use them and get them. Yep. Yeah, so, drugs won the war. They yeah, sure did. They did for they sure. They sure did. And furthermore, you could still purchase tobacco in California. You could still buy cigarettes in California. Mm -hmm. Why? 
because of the syntax, because they make a shitload of money. That's why they'll never ban tobacco, even though tobacco and alcohol are fucking monumental killers. They'll never ban them because the amount of tax money they make, especially cigarettes, all the fucking sports stadiums that people love to go cheer their favorite teams on can't have a cigarette on the property. But cigarettes paid for it. Syntax paid for it. You know what I mean? $12 a beer for a fucking Dixie cup of beer. I never purchase alcohol and shit like that. Like, I, first of all, I don't drink that often. Maybe two to three times a year tops. Um, I, I just, I, I, I don't even, like, when we go out to dinner, like, you know, my wife and I are going to be celebrating our 11th anniversary next week. And, um, like, we're going to go to breakfast. Then we won't even have Bloody Mary. Like, I just, it's just not something I, I have no desire to drink alcohol but like when you go out to the dinner and let's say you go to hibachi which is one of my favorite things to do because i love the onion volcano sorry i'm still that little kid i'm always going to enjoy that it's a good time that you you buy one alcoholic beverage you increase i mean your bill skyrockets I, i'm just i'll have an iced tea like i mean i'm not i'm not playing games but all of those purchases especially at the corner stores like in the bodegas in california all that fucking money pays for a lot of sh- a lot of shit that's why they'll never ban the shit that's really killing people really no skittles forget about the homeless problem forget about the fu- forget about all of the problems that california has we're gonna go for skittles and the products that uh, again it, it, it mentions titanium dioxide as well that doesn't sound like you should eat it i, I agree that doesn't sound like you should eat it <laughs> I don't even know my what mother, that is. My mother used to get mad because propylene glycol was in certain products. That's what they used to de-ice airplanes because she worked for the airline. She goes, anytime you see propylene anything, and I'm like, no, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like I should be having it. But guess what, neighbor? If you want to buy a bag of Skittles and give yourself cancer oh. of the ass, that's your problem. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You go ahead it's and buy It's not water-soluble. That's a problem. Titanium dioxide is not water soluble. So it, what? It stays in the. It's it goes into your bones. You um, can't even wash that out, is what you're saying. It, it's not dispersed with water. Oh, even if a br- it's a listen. water water based products can be dispersed with water, meaning if a water, it'll like. No, no, I understand. You know, go away with water. I understand that. Yeah. Okay, a broken clock can be right twice a day. That's all I'm going to say about it. But you should still be able to buy Skittles if you want them. That's it. Um, anything else, anybody, before we wrap up uh, this bonus episode? Went deep here. Went for a while. I mean, this is a good one here. I had a good time here. Elliot, I'm going to give you the floor. What else do you have for us before we depart? Uh, okay. Last question I'll ask. So on the last time I was on here, I said Washington's my home, and though it is – Unfortunately, a lot of political things that make me hate it. I love it to death. But for you guys, if you had to live in another state other than Ohio, what would it be and why? Angel, go first. Um, Montana, because I hear you can see the Milky Way from there. That's a good reason. Be, uh, here it's absolutely uh, our friend Brian S. Um, he, um, he took a train from Chicago to, um, I don't know if it was Helena, uh, they had an open, um, they had a portion of one of the cabs who had the glass top and they sat there and looked at the Milky Way, the spiral arm of the Milky Way, because they were going, there wasn't, there was, um, there wasn't light pollution. So you could see that, which to me is, is all fucking amazing. Uh, that would be cool. That's a good choice. Um, my choice. 
Uh, I would pick um, I would pick West Virginia, or I would pick Western Pennsylvania. First of all, because it's close enough to where I'm at, so I can feel a little bit home. Um, and then secondly, but but especially West Virginia, the Freedom Index. Um, they are the Afghanistan of the United States of America. They do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, you are not going to roll up there and tell those people what to do. You never have been. That's where even the crazy people who weren't welcome in uh, normal society, you know, the Scotch Irish, the crazy fuckers, that's where they ended up settling in Appalachia. Um, and uh, I think it's, it get, we make fun of it all the time. And, and I think it's in a, like incorrectly uh, because it is, they're good people. They've suffered deeply at the hands of their masters, especially with the coal industry they are the backbone of this country, Appalachian people, like, you know, people in the Rust Belt too here in Northeastern Ohio, across the Middle West, even those fuckers in Michigan, right? we're all suffering the same fate, unfortunately. Um, they're just good people. Uh, like, you know, they're good people. They're not Midwestern people. They are Southern uh, culturally. They're, they, but there's a little bit of taste of home there too. And again, I feel like you, there are, Angel been down there in areas where some of her fe- people came from where mm-hmm. there aren't fucking roads. They're dirt, they're, they're roads. dirt roads. And, you know, these are impoverished areas, but they no electricity. They seem to be really salt of the earth people. Same thing with Western Pennsylvania. And I have an aunt that lives in Scranton. Um, they live on a mountain. Um, good people. Appalachian people are are awesome. Um, they they're they're our brothers and sisters uh, for Midwesterners. So uh, and the climate, Elliot, I like snow. I like snow and I like cold. Um, we still get fucking insufferable ball vinegar heat. I hate it, but I do enjoy the changing of the seasons. I, I will admit as, but I'm I, driving on 77 South in the fall and seeing the foliage. Um, if that was the last thing that my eyes ever saw before I died, I'd be a happy man. It's uh it's, it's beautiful and it's home and that's, it's close to where I'm at. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Good. Well, you're always welcome. If you need, if 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 what you, about you? Where yeah, if you're you overrun, live? you come this way. If you guys are overrun, pack your shit. We the welcome wagon will be here at the border. Where would you live, Elliot? Uh, well, I think I'd probably, based upon Jay's, you know, testimony right there, I'd pick Ohio just because his family. My dad always told me from young age, if you don't have family, you got nothing in this world. He's right. But if I can't pick Ohio and be departed from my brothers and sisters. I would probably, just because I love the green so much of Western Washington, the, the next best thing would probably be Montana. Now that would make my trade a little harder because there isn't as much job opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if I'm having to flee anyways, you know, um, I'm assuming it's to a point where I got b- bigger fish to fry and worry about than you know my job so montana and my grandmother and my dad's um, mother she's from montana cool. um so um i've been told i have family over there i mean i never met them never been to Mon. well no i've been to montana when i was a small baby but i don't have any recollection of it but i would probably say montana you know but first first is ohio that's the win not to mention that all of us great lakes people even those cowards in Wisconsin who haven't taken the Upper Peninsula back yet, which is disgraceful for uh, truly just kidding, Professor Dave. He just I'm just I'm just uh, he's from Michigan. Um, so I just I'm just giving it a shot. Just kidding. Uh, freshwater people like look at how much water we have. Angel and I have discussed water wars in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I'm telling you right now, I can always ride a horse or I can walk, but if we don't have water, we have a serious fucking problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've uh, fortunately Lake Erie's been cleaned up over time. Um, there's still much work to do, uh, but being that close to such a large uh, source uh, of fresh water is something I think about often. Um, and if you're in the mountains of Appalachia, you're going to run into rivers and creeks and stuff like that where you're going to be okay. Um, same thing with Montana, and I'm sure as well as the state of Washington, there's plenty of sources of fresh water. But I, I think about that shit all the time, man. Like, there's a lot I can do, but if you don't have a source of fresh water, we are fucked, my friend. Like, that is a serious problem. But, um, yeah, you're always welcome here. Uh, the mm-hmm. welcome wagon will be waiting for you at the gates. Like, um, it's um, this is uh, – we love, you know, home is everything, you know what I mean? And if your dad's right, if you don't have family, there's no fucking point to any of this shit. If you don't have people that love you and care about you and, you know, like, you know, have a place to lay your head down, man, you, there's no point to any of this. So I hear you. It was a good question. It was a good question. And I stood up for fucking West Virginia because somebody's got to do it around here. And though we crack jokes at their expense, those people are good fucking people. Mm-hmm. So we love West Virginia. And also West- maybe Alaska. I like Alaska, you know what, man? Alaska sounds great, but let me tell you something, man. That place is regularly trying to kill people. Like, they have earthquakes. They had a 9.0 in Juneau. I know. That's a like 9.0. Well, they're, you know, the on Ring the, of Fire, the Pacific yeah. Ring of Fire, man. Like, and you got, you're not too far away from any of that shit, too, man. You're under the. No, that crest runs all the way down Alaska to California. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fucked if. <laughs> the idea of a Lahar, that's terrifying. You know what I What's mean? What's a lahar? Lahar is the when uh, the magma comes out of the uh, out of the volcano and mixes with mud and snow, and creates literally like liquid a wave of liquid concrete. Like, you, you should see that it, it happens all over the world. They're I'm called gonna look lahar. it up. Lahar, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right, Elliot? Lahar, yeah, it's serious business. I've yeah, never heard of that word before. Oh yeah. yeah, and we have several mountains here in Western Washington. We have Mount Rainier mm-hmm. that they've been saying since I was a young kid in the early 2000s that that thing's set to go at any time. It's and due. obviously we had St. Helens in the 80s and everything, um, which was just like if you look at some of the before and after pictures oh. of Helens explosion, you know, and that wasn't even traditional. It didn't come up top like they expected. It came no, out the side, the side, and it completely yeah. like the, the first it slid, and now yeah. it's just the entire like. Have you ever seen those time lapse? of those people who died taking photographs of the mountain um, and just seeing how it like, I mean, it literally lost its face. And then I remember seeing the plume going to the atmosphere and lightning being Mm -hmm. in the plume. Like it's, it's terrifying. Volcanoes are man alive. That shit is scary. Like, I mean, like I remember when I first learned about Pompeii and the people frozen in time, Mm. from the ash that always stuck with me man that is scary shit you can't run fast enough you can't get a horse that rides fast enough you know what i mean and even in like helen's was 1980 you know what i mean so like you had cars and it's still people died like it it, you can't move fast enough that fucker's coming for you the the super volcano the yellowstone that thing oh i freaks me out that's that's a civilization ender Yeah. yeah That's yeah, because that plume will literally lower the temperature of the earth. Literally, like we will be in big trouble. We're all fucked. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the whole none of us are getting out of here. So let's let's hope that that holds off for another hundred years, because that means all three of us should be gone by then. And then it's uh, my kid's problem. So good luck to him uh, amongst many other problems that he has. God bless him. Um, <laughs> uh, anything else? Anything at all? No. Um, no. 
No. Bit shoot. Bit shoot. Don't forget about the bit shoot. By the way, thank you to all 48 of you who have subscribed. We crossed 20,000 views on 48 subscriptions. So I'm rather proud of that. That is a that is not a large subscription and it's a it's a like we do great on there. Better than we ever did on communist YouTube. So thank you to all of you that subscribe. Thank you to our patrons that continue to uh, believe in the show. I'm sorry about the fucking sub stack. I've got stuff coming. My dumb ass has decided to go back to graduate school to pursue something else because I hate myself and I want to suffer some more academically. Um, that doesn't make you dumb, though. I'm not uh, I'm not pursuing a master's. I'm getting a graduate certificate in something. So uh, in this coming January, I'll be pursuing that because I love to learn and I'm a sick man. And uh, that's about it. But thank you to those of you um, who are on the, uh, the, the the Patreon family. Thanks to everybody who has subscribed. Thanks to everybody who's downloaded. Uh, we've got folks. I, it's still wild. Austria, um, Australia. We've got folks in Japan. We've got folks in the Philippines. And, of course, our listeners in the UK, France, uh, Poland. Uh, there was uh, We have listeners in Latvia. Uh, it's I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of places. You'll have to forgive me. Um, the Netherlands and uh, we had somebody from Luxembourg uh, jump in, which is fucking wild, man. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Um, and Finland and Norway and Sweden as well. Uh, I, I don't know if we had Denmark just yet. The Danes have not bought in yet, but we're waiting. We're waiting for them. Um, but uh, thank you. And last but not least, Elliot, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. It's good to see you. I know we talk regularly anyway. Just like I said, we talk daily. Um, but um, thank you for being a part of the family. Thank you for coming on. I, I enjoyed the conversation today. It was definitely not something I was anticipating. And that's always a good thing. It's a nice adventure. So thank you very much uh, for being part of the family. No, thank you, guys. And you, uh, you're a true blessing in my life. I love you guys to death. I pray for you all every day. And, you know, no matter what, you always have a friend on the other side of the country. Love you, pal. Thank Love you very much for that. I hope you guys, everybody, enjoy whatever you're doing. Right now, we're recording on the weekend. I'm going to a heavy metal show. Have a good time. Everybody, be safe. Look out for each other. Love you, Elliot. Take care. All the best to you guys out there. And uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.